This is always a joyful moment, you know. So uh, this week we're starting something. You'll notice this is a little bit different than the way we usually begin Young Urban Zen. Usually there's a sit and then a talk and then we... Small groups. But we're beginning a four-week series on the practice of Zazen. And um, gradual instruction in Zazen. Which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, But just to say... um, I'm, I'm very happy to be sharing this with the Young Urban Zen community. Um, in a manner of speaking, meditation is really my happy place in the Dharma. That's uh, kind of how I grew up and got grounded in this set of teachings. And um, yes, changed my life in profound ways. So sharing meditation with people is one of the best things I get to do. Um, So to introduce this just a little bit, maybe the first thing to know is that fundamental to Zazen, Zazen, seated Zen, Zazen, is what we experience and our relationship to that experience. Both of these. What we experience and our relationship to it. And a a fundamental is that zazen is bigger than any one aspect of our experience. It's vast. It cannot be confined to pleasant or unpleasant, which is good news for us because that means if our meditation is unpleasant sometimes, it doesn't mean that something has gone wrong. And if it's pleasant, that doesn't necessarily mean that something has gone right. We don't have to judge by those familiar categories. Zazen's bigger than that. It's not limited by our thoughts, it's not limited by our our emotions, our fantasies or reveries, and it's not even circumscribed by the body and the breath. It includes all these things, but it's not limited to any of them or limited by any of them. Pretty vast. Um, In maybe one way of summarizing, zazen is a practice that includes all things. Summarizing, the, summarizing the, the founder of this lineage in Japan, he was um, described as saying, uh, it, capital I, it, of your experience, it can be any which way, but it has to be just as it is. That's, uh, I think that's Sawaki Kodo uh, paraphrasing Dogen. So we have a vast field to work in. Our experience can be any which way and still be included in zazen. But in this this broad opening, we we enter into a process of practice. And that's our contribution. We contribute to a process of practice that's much, much bigger than us. Um, And part of what we will do is talk about the different ways that we as meditators, can contribute to this process and how it can unfold, some of the challenges that come up, and um, some of the things you might pay attention to as you go. I might say that it's our attention to the particulars that fuels this process. The, The particulars, for example, of the breath right now, the body right now, an emotion right now, just whatever is actual in your experience right here and now. Our attention to that contributes. 
I thought it might be fun at the beginning to pause for just a moment and reflect on the fact that none of us started our meditative journey 10 minutes ago, even if you're meditating for the first time. This might be your very first time meditating, but to pause but as we're beginning to reflect on um, what, are the, what are the intentions that brought you here or the, the experiences, the reflections, what are the desires? What are you hoping for? Um, just a moment to consider, oh, like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And we might say that your, the process of your practice started with whatever your initial intention was. And it continues with whatever your intention is. I end, up, I end up talking to a fair number of people about Zen and meditation, and um, a lot of folks, I love this actually, a lot of folks come by way of the Calm app and by Insight Timer. I think that's awesome. Um, for some people, the intention has something to do with reducing stress in their lives. Maybe some part of life is unmanageable and they're looking for, looking for a way to, to handle that. For others, an intention might have arisen based on um, either hearing the words or meeting or coming across an inspiring figure like the Dalai Lama or the Buddha or Suzuki Roshi, uh, somebody who, who expressed a possibility. Um, some, like me, were pretty interested in mystical experience. That really had me excited in my early 20s. Um, yeah, the, the possibilities of transformation and liberation. And for some others, maybe the intentions are grounded in something like loss. Uh, I recently talked to someone who started practice through grief. So Zazen's big enough to hold all of these. And I think, I think it, it hints at something about the trajectory of Zazen when we tune into them, as we're starting to reflect on the processes of practice and get a sense of, oh yeah, how have I entered? Big enough to hold all this. So to zoom out a little bit, I don't even know what young urban Zen means. I think that's cool though. Um, But this group, whatever it is, uh, will start and continue for the next four weeks, these four sessions, on a, an instruction in meditation, specifically designed for this group. Uh, I think about you a lot. <laughs> um, so my Zen teacher uh, sometimes will characterize the practice of, of Zen or the practice of Zazen as like uh, tossing someone into the deep end of the pool. And that always struck me as a little strange. It's like, why wouldn't you teach them how to swim? So this is, uh, this is four weeks in swim lessons uh, before, we, before we open up to something like shikantaza, like being fully intimate with this wholehearted experience.
are fully intimate with this experience wholeheartedly. So uh, we'll develop familiarity, I'm hoping. We'll develop some fluency and we'll develop skill, relationship to some major categories of experience. The breath, the body, the emotions, uh, thinking. And then with that basis, we'll open up into the full experience of shikantaza. Um, We'll do, this, we'll do this bit by bit. I think um, in addition to the, these primary categories that we'll study, we'll also have a look at something important tonight, which is posture. And we'll, we'll talk about walking meditation next time. Something I didn't do last year that I really want to do this time is also to address some of the common challenges that come up in our meditation practice. Some of these like pretty much guaranteed difficulties or... Um, Maybe that, won't, maybe that won't happen for you. And then one last caveat as an introduction. It's pretty unorthodox to teach a gradual approach in Soto Zen, uh, in terms of how to do Zazen. So I just want to name that at the beginning. Um, yeah, this like toss in the deep end of the pool approach is very, very common. It goes along the lines of uh, sit, be present. And my experience tells me that uh, we actually can learn to be much more fully present if we take time to get to know specific aspects of experience and then include everything. So. In uh, preparing for this last year, this will be our second year to second year to do this. Um, I did some studying of someone who has someone who's taught uh, an introduction to meditation probably I don't know forty times. Uh, Gil Gil Fronstall, Insight Meditation Center, and I noticed in his first talk he used the word attention. In seventy-two minutes, he said attention sixty-seven times. I think there's a clue, a clue about what we're up to, wisely using our attention. And where I want to start us in this whole, this whole arc is first tuning our attention into our sensations. That's going to be a very important principle of embodiment as we go along. Just the sensations as they are. And we'll start to distinguish sensate experience, felt experience from um, what we might categorize as activity, uh, discursive thought, other sorts of mental activity, as distinct from sensation. Just as they are. And for the moment, if you turn your attention into breathing, just taking a moment to settle back in with your inhale, your exhale. And of course, you know you're breathing by the sensations. Two key skills I want to introduce you to with regard to the breathing. One is connecting. With the attention connecting to the breath, making initial contact. Sometimes they call this aiming 
Sometimes they call it uh, directing. Making that initial contact with your inhale. Making that initial contact with your exhale is the first primary skill. And the second is sustaining, sustaining contact, contact, sometimes called rubbing. Sometimes we use a bell for, as an analogy for this. Um, say I had a cloth, I'll use my sleeve. Breath and attention. Attention meets the breath, the sensations of the breathing. Contact, connecting, directing. I like the language of tuning into. I'll let you feel into that. And then sustaining or rubbing, staying in contact, staying in contact with the breathing. And eventually this whole bell will shine. And if things go according to plan, if you make contact and keep contact with the breathing, very, very naturally, a little bit of a sense of energy will start to arise. And you're feeding the process. You're feeding the process I talked about that unfolds in this really beautiful way. So tuning into and sustaining. Connecting and rubbing. Tune into with your attention and then stay there. You might notice if you're directing and sustaining your attention to the breathing, sometimes something will get in the way. Your attention gets pulled somewhere else, um, distraction, you find yourself in a reverie before you know it, uh, you're replaying a conversation you had earlier today or reworking it into perfection. Anyway, something pleasant, something unpleasant. In the vast field of zazen, in the vast field of awareness, just to know that this is happening is enough. Just to be aware that that process is happening is enough. You're actually feeding the practice, even if it doesn't look the way you want it to. If you're, if you're aware, you're attentive, and you clearly know what's happening, you're feeding the momentum of zazen. Sometimes that's enough just to know that. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's real agitation in the body or the mind that gets in the way of the breathing. And in a case like that, what would happen if you think about breathing with the difficulty? Say some big emotion comes up. What, it, what would it feel like? What would it be like to breathe with, to let your breath accompany that emotion? Or um, as some of you have heard me talk about, I was recently on a, a retreat focusing on, um, focusing on death as it pertains to our practice. And one of the skills that I saw meditators develop was learning to breathe through their grief. The actual physical, physical emotion in the body being breathed through, in and out. So it gets to be included in the breath practice. So to connect with the breath, Sustain with the breath. And beginning, just, just beginning here, as you're paying attention, 
to start to distinguish sensation from comment. Comment can be one thing, we can breathe with it, but to stay with sensation as best we can. I'm gonna follow an intuition and very gently, let's find our way, let's, let's meditate through the rest of this for about 14 minutes and then we'll have a stretch break. So if you can find your way into an upright alert posture You don't have to follow closely or hang on to what I'm saying. You can just let the sounds come through. But let the sensations of your breathing be primary in the foreground. In this breath meditation, you have the support of a reminder. Every time that you breathe in, a new set of sensations arises. Every time you exhale, the same. One can almost develop a felt sense for the attention and the movement of attention. So very gently, with your attention, make contact with those sensations. And then with a gentle effort, sustaining that contact. Keeping the breath in the foreground. Whatever else arises, breathing with, breathing through.
if it's helpful. You might have the sense that the breath is filling the body with sensation from the inside out. And perhaps for the next three minutes, you might try this, this tool that Suzuki Roshi used to recommend to help us connect with and sustain contact with the breath. And that is counting. It can be on the inhale or each exhale. But at the same place in each breath cycle, just give it a very gentle one, and two, up to 10, and then returning. Just to see how that tool works for you. If the attention finds itself somewhere else, 
Even wandering gets to be included. In our bell language, three bells starts things and one bell ends things. So oftentimes that's where Zazen instruction stops. And we have um, quite a bit of material we're going to cover over these next four weeks. I think it's a good time for a stretch break. If you want to stand up, wiggle your body, and sit back down, and then we can do the next thing. just whenever you're ready. Okay, shortly we will talk about posture, but before we do that, any questions about what we've covered so far? Connecting, sustaining. Yes. Yeah. Might be, might we be losing something in the oh, great, great. Yeah, that's a great question for uh, folks who hear this recording. This will be available for you later. Um, the question is, are we losing anything through the gradual approach uh, that we're trying here? Yeah, that, I think that's a totally fair question. Yeah. Um, I think I want, I want to add just, I'm going to give it a, just a touch of context, which is that, let's say, let's say you're a monk in Tang Dynasty, China, and you're going around to visit a Zen master. 
um, the assumption would be that you're already thoroughly trained in the Dharma, in the texts, and in the practices. And then Zazen is radical. So um, I think that, that's, a, that's something that's helpful for me to remember in terms of that context. What, something I want to say, though, super fruitful to just be tossed in the deep end. And then what the, one of the strengths of that approach is you, you have no choice but to reckon with your experience. You, like Suffering becomes your greatest teacher. Like, I'm going to be here on this cushion for the next, let's say you're in a seven-day session or something, and you, you've never really learned all the skills, which, of course, I had not when I first sat, and I'm grateful for it. It's like, okay, I'm, I feel like if I do this for one more hour, I'm literally going to die. <laughs> uh, how am I going to survive? And that becomes, that becomes how you learn. Maybe it's my soft grandmotherly mind or something. And, I <laughs> and then also the, the other side of this is um, my, my training also in a gradual approach to meditation and both of my teachers have, have done the same thing. Um, I find it helps, it helps people to find their footing in, in Zen and in Zazen much more quickly. Uh, and for those of us who like, live very full lives, I don't mind. I don't mind a little extra. Yeah, but valid question. Yeah, thanks for bringing it in. Yes. I guess in terms of the difference between breathing with and breathing through when there are heavy emotions that arise during meditation, um, I've, I guess, grappled with that idea in my practice of sometimes something whether that be grief, uh, losing a loved one, or anxiety, turbulence of life, um, sometimes it's very hard to sit because it feels so heavy. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel the benefits of sitting with it, but I guess, do you have any guidance for that experience of mm -hmm. the difference between that breathing with versus breathing through? Yeah, breathing with, breathing through, in the context of intense emotion that maybe it's hard to even get yourself to the cushion. And then once you're there, you know, that's not easy practice. It's some, it's, it's, there's something of a, I think that this is a fascinating area because the, the promise of the Buddha's teaching is that it's designed to support us through the most dramatic losses that we will ever have. And it can be really hard to do it can be, still be really hard to be with difficult moments. Um, I think there are a lot of approaches to this. Some of the next, next time when we body and emotion. Um, but in terms of breathing with and breathing through, the ter those particular terms, are not, uh, they're not technical on purpose. They're meant to be evocative. So if they call something forward in terms of you discovering a capacity or a perspective that's useful in dealing with difficulty or being with difficulty, that's what they're for. Yeah. Could be fun. I don't think we'll take the time for it now, but it would be really 
fun for me to know what breathing through, what that became in your minds and in your practices. And I bet we'd get a whole bunch of different answers. Is that okay for the moment? Great. Yes? Nice. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, for, for our basic instructions, the, the mouth stays closed and you breathe gently, breathe gently through the nose. And um, you let the length of the breath be natural. So if the, if, the, if the physiology of the body is kind of activated, your breathing might be harder and faster. Uh, if you're really relaxed, it might be slow. But um, you just let the breath be what it is. It doesn't have to be any particular way for this, for this practice. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Paying attention to the breath without controlling it. This is like a Heidegger situation. Like if we observe it, we're changing it. Um, and I, I think, I think this is this this is another one of these things that and sort of go. I think Zach talked about this last week. We have to go through the process ourselves of actually. Okay, we've learned how to direct attention to the breathing. Oh look, I'm controlling the breathing now, and just no, noticing that that's happening, and then tuning in. Like, oh, like what is it? What does it feel like to relax 10% my control of the breathing, and then grow in terms of relaxation with the breathing and let it be? I think it's still. I, I don't want to put a number on it. Find quite a bit after all these years of meditation, just. Uh, as it happens. It's hard to let the breath be natural. But even that gets to be included, you know? Yeah. We'll do some more questions at the, oh, maybe one more and then we'll do some more later on and we'll get, get through some material. Yes? Yeah, yeah, thank you for bringing those in. I think um, I'm going to use the terms kind of loosely. Don't hold me to what I'm about to say the whole time. Uh, spotlight, I'm going to say attention. And then diffuse, I'll probably say awareness. And in, in this practice, we'll in, we will end up using both. Um, but I, I think it's useful for sort of the journey I want to take us on to uh, get to know spotlight attention and the skill of staying in contact. Uh, actually, this is a perfect segue. One of the next things I was uh, going to discuss is a receptive attention, which can be another way of thinking about um, broad awareness, vast awareness. Is that good for now? And we'll, we can come back to it? Great. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Um, let's do posture.
I think uh, I think this is really important as you're as you're either either setting up a meditation practice, renewing a meditation practice, or whatever your relationship is to what we're doing. And I'm going to talk about sitting in a chair first. So give a second while I while I move. So whether you're seated, seated on a chair or you're seated on a cushion, one of the most important things to bear in mind in terms of posture is you're looking, for, you're looking for a posture in which you can have an alert spine. Um, can be challenging to do this, but not impossible to do it while lying down. Um, but think, we're all, I think we're all sitting up. Yeah. In terms of the chair, it's hard to do here. I have a support cushion under me. If I'm seated, oh, I recently went to a place, a, a, a Zen thing in LA for five days and we were seated in pews. Ouch. It was really hard. It was really, really hard. And I actually noticed, I took my, um, I had my bowing mat, but you can use a, like a wool cap or something. And I, I put it like under my tailbone to help support my hips. It made all the difference. So if you're seated in a chair, you may, you may play with pillows or something else. Find a, way, find a way to have yourself supported where your, your hips can be, I guess, turned back just a shade. So your sit bones are square on the seat and your spine can grow up tall. And if, if your hips are well supported, then this whole, this whole structure can relax. And if they're not, then this, this ends up happening when you let go, right? Anyway, so uh, if you... If you want to do that, I'm going to curve this support cushion. So if you're, um, if you're on a chair, I find it helpful to have feet flat on the ground. Knees are parallel. And here's another thing you may not be able to do here on the pew, but I recommend it at home, is try to be in a position where your hips are higher than your knees. Uh, if the knees are higher than the hips, it curves the low back and that causes pain. Tends to pulls you out of alignment, right? Um, and then, if your if your hips are higher than your knees, or at least even, then you can sit upright in a relaxed way. Perfectly okay to let your hands rest however they will. The traditional way of holding the hands, whether we're on the on a cushion or on a chair, is making this big oval with the uh, left fingers on top of the right fingers, and then the thumbs just barely, barely touch. And then that's here with the low belly. That's here at the low belly. Um, I don't know if this will happen for you, but uh, oh yeah, yeah. Please get a cushion if you can. If anyone needs one, feel free. Um, I'm not sure what this is about, but uh, if I let my hands rest on the on the hip or on the on the legs while I'm in a chair, it actually pulls my whole body forward. But I think that has something to do with the length of my arms. It may work for you, but pay attention to that. You don't want to let your shoulders come forward and pull your body. You want to be upright. The, whole, the, the idea here is to establish a dignified, dignified, aware posture where your mind and your body can come together to do the same thing at the same time. 
And you can use your body as a support for the kind of attention or the kind of awareness that we're going to practice. Like what's a, what is an aware body? How do you communicate that with your, your body? And that, that can go a long way toward figuring out what the posture is for you. So um, I think that's everything that's specific to a chair. I'll move to the cushion and then we'll move through the rest of the posture together. A lot of folks are sitting cross-legged. I think that works beautifully. I sat that way for years. I can't do it anymore because of a back injury. But um, something I want to let you know, if you're sitting cross-legged, um, you want to do it in a way where your bones don't rest on, oh, in terms of your low legs, you don't want bones resting on bones. That will really, really hurt. What we're looking for is a posture where you can stay reasonably comfortable for half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, and if at all possible, Raising your hips enough with your cushion or two cushions or whatever else such that your knees can make their, make their way either to the floor or they can be supported by pillows. Gosh, that was a complex sentence. Um, try to get your knees, again, higher than your hips. No, 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 other way. Hips higher than your knees. Hips higher than your knees. And for the same reasons. If, if your knees are below your hips, then your spine can rest in, a, in an upright posture. If your knees are higher, then you curve. Um, yeah, it pays to be well supported and take the time. I wish we had some more cushions, actually, so everybody could get nice and tucked in. Um, yeah, if you find you have a knee floating, having some support. So there's that. Another alternative to cross-legged positions, it's the one that I'm in now, where it's a kneeling, a kneeling posture that we call seiza. We more or less sit on the ankles together like this, and you turn your cushion up like a wheel, put it right between the ankles and sit. Works well. The um, cross-legged postures tend to be really stable side to side. And seiza tends to be more stable front to back. So um, I, have a, I have a friend, a longtime meditator, who is also an Ashtanga yoga, yoga practitioner. And he, uh, he alternates to keep himself balanced. He'll, he'll switch right leg on top of left, left on top of right, and then he'll sit seiza to make sure everything's staying in order. So taking the time to find the base. And then we grow the posture from the bottom up. Just like you're building a house. We make our foundation with the legs and the hips. And then the next thing that we build is the spine. When the spine is straight, there's a, natural, there's a natural S, just a gentle S to the spine. I don't end up having to think about that all too much. If I just think of my spine being straight, it turns into its natural S. So one way to do that, Suzuki Roshi has this nice teaching of a, 
Imagine you've got a, a string at the crown of the head. So like the back top of the head like this. And it's just gently pulling the back top of the head up. And you can feel the spine extend, right? And then relax. And that lengthening and straightening of the spine can happen in concert with the head. I find it then helpful to roll the shoulders back. I actually find um, we type a lot. Um, I don't know about you, I keep a lot of tension in the elbows. So like giving these a little wiggle on the way into, on the way into meditation is helpful. Another one of the classic instructions for elbow placement is just far body that uh, you can hold a, a chicken egg. A chicken egg right there. They naturally rest. That mic's going in and out a little bit, but I think it's working. If it can. Yeah. From there, the hand posture we talked about, creating that oval with the fingers. And you'll want this, um, you'll want this oval in contact with the low part of the belly. So part of this part of the hand stays in touch with the, the low belly. There are reasons behind some of these different points, but I, I'll save the time and not unpack them just now. As we talked about before, the, the, the mouth is closed, the teeth are together, and the, the, tongue, the tip of the tongue touches the front roof of the mouth, just behind the teeth, just gently. Then I love this instruction. You breathe gently through the nose, take a big breath, and you rock the body right and left. And then he says, settle into a steady, immovable sitting position. I find with that, the rock back and forth, and you, you, may, you may prolong the rock back and forth if you want. As it gets smaller and smaller, it's almost like you feel by way of the spine where that balance point is. In the beginning, the posture, the posture may feel uh, tense, it may feel strange. Um, it's not the way we're usually arranging our bodies for a lot of the hours of the day. But uh, one teacher from a long time ago says, once your body gets used to the posture, it has the comfort of slipping into a hot bath. It may take some time. It may really take some time. And you'll find like the body's got to work out all of its little kinks. So you can expect some strange and unexpected results. Are your arms supposed to be engaged in order to keep your hands in the right spot? Good question. Yeah. Are the are the arms supposed to be engaged? 
And the, um, yeah, the answer is yes. If float just a little bit. For, for those lucky folks who can sit full lotus, I have heard that you can let your hands rest on the, on the legs. I find, I find if I let my hands rest on the legs though, everything gets out of alignment. And then um, I actually end up hurting more. A benefit of, having, of, of having, having to or getting to raise the hands just a smidge is that it helps balance energy and relaxation. So you stay engaged with the body just a bit. Well, since we're here, why don't we do one more guided meditation on the breathing? Since we're all set up in our postures. If there are any adjustments you want to make to your posture, now's a good time. And as we do this, let's come back into contact with these skills of tuning in, of connecting, and then sustaining your attention with the breathing. And then I'm going to bring in one of the classic difficulties. Having taken the time to connect with the posture in this way, this felt sense of embodiment, you may notice that you're registering sensations of the breathing in even more places in the body. Connecting, connecting with the breathing. Sustaining contact with the breathing.
something that you may start to notice is that directing the attention involves some tensing. It's possible that the effort to direct your attention, maybe you notice there's a contraction in the head or in the body. that's associated with the effort to connect and sustain. This is good information. If that's so, experience to just dial back the effort enough, just enough to stay in easeful Just enough effort, just enough energy to sustain contact with the breathing without generating any extra tension. I think time for another short stretch break. Alex, are both mics still on? You turn off the other one? Yeah.
hope I hope you're holding up okay. So um, yeah, we find that um, or the the premise of this approach that we're going to do over this next four weeks is that as we become aware or we learn how to be skillfully aware with the breathing, then it's much easier to learn how to be skillful with the body. And then what, if we know how to be attentive to the body, it's much, much easier to attend to emotions in a wise way. And then onward to thinking. And then onward to full opening. So bit by bit, familiarity, fluency, and skill with all of these aspects of experience. The next thing I want to talk about is um, the encouragement. I think in order to partake of the skill and the joy and the sort of what the practice has to offer, can be really helpful to meditate each day. Could be even a short time. I, I once knew a friend who got quite good at guitar and his recommendation to me was, oh, uh, or, I sort of asked him how, how it happened for him, and he was like, I just made a commitment. Every day I would pick it up just once, even for five minutes, you know? And Katagiri Roshi made a similar, similar suggestion about meditation, just to get on your cushion, even for a few minutes every day. Um, I think a general starting point is around 20 minutes. That can be a good, uh, a good goal for us. Um, if you already have an established practice with a set amount of time, maybe for these four weeks, consider moving it up a couple of minutes and making it, making it just a little bit longer. Um, I'd like to make a couple of recommendations about daily, life, daily practice. One of them is, um, I think, how many of us live with other people? Awesome, yeah. Uh, good to have a clear strategy when you, when you have other people when you have other people in your place. Um, and what I mean is, consider your situation and think about, um, maybe to illustrate this, I'll just give an extreme example. Don't set up your meditation cushion and your meditation time in the dining room at 6 p.m. You know, obvious conflicts you're gonna come into and things that are gonna get in your way. So, um, you can enlist the support of the people around you by being deliberate about how and when you practice. But it is helpful to set a, a regular time. For some, uh, some biological clocks, some inner clocks, it works, works best to do it first thing in the morning. I find that's good before my discursive mind starts to go. Uh, for others, at the end of the day, maybe the end of the workday. We do an evening meditation here at 5.40 p.m., which is open to all of you. I find my, uh, my quality of life quotient goes way, way, way up if I meditate after work. Um, I can get a little crabby. So prepare a dedicated space, do that wisely, and then daily practice. Um, one of the benefits of the evening zazen, or coming in the morning, we do it at 5.40 in the morning too, though that may be less accessible, is that, <laughs> right? Um, is uh, I find it's easier to meditate with a group. I don't know if anyone else sees that. Yeah. 
for some for for some that it's not that's not so for actually for years in my practice it was way easier to meditate alone but i find i do it more consistently if i'm with, if i do it with a group um so you have other people here at 5:40 if you want meditation buddies and that's also a time that um if you're dedicating yourself to doing the sitting practice uh that e that evening zazen period is also a time when you can at, at your request, set up one-on-one -on -one meetings to talk about how that's going, challenging your, challenges you're, you're having, questions you have about the technique and the approach or uh, stuff specific to the practice. Let's see. Ah, one last thing about daily, daily practice, daily meditation practice. This is another one of these things that I picked up from, from Gil, and that is... Um, can be helpful at the beginning and the beginning and the end uh, to do one conscious thing. At the beginning, you set an you set an intention. Okay, for these twenty minutes, for these thirty minutes, for these forty-five minutes, I'm going to set the clear intention. I'm just go I'm going to be as aware and as attentive as I can be to the breath for this amount of time. And then you can leave that intention alone. You can just put that in there and something about the magic of the meditative process that supports you. It's pretty, pretty cool. And then at the end, um, you might take a moment, maybe a minute, two minutes, just to reflect on how the practice went. Not in the sense of like, oh, I did this and I was really awesome about that, or oh, I did this and I'm terrible at X, Y, and Z. Like, it's not a moment of self-evaluation. It's more one of looking at cause and effect. Like, oh, I saw, I saw this arose in my meditation, and that's how I handled it, and that's what happened. So on and so on. You might start to notice patterns, things you tend to deal with in your meditation, or stories that come up frequently, or, um, yeah. So much for daily life practice. Um, I want to open it up for some more questions right now, if we can do that. Uh, so far, we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about the, the general approach of these four weeks. We've talked about posture, daily life practice, and then the breath, and with the breath specifically about connecting and sustaining. But I, I wanna make sure we have a good grounding in this, because next week, we're gonna develop into uh, body and emotions. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have like half a mind to hop up and see how you're sitting. Um, uh, can I ask how long have you been? How long have you been sitting? Yeah. Or, no, no, no. Uh, uh, um, how long have you been meditating on the grand scale? Uh, ten, years. ten years. Yeah, and you tend to get this. This tends to be regular. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, this is a guess, just looking at, looking at what I'm seeing from the front right now. I, I meant to include this for everyone, so uh, it's not personally for you, though you might try it. Take care with chin creep when you're, when you're meditating. I find even more so when I'm sitting on a chair. 
my chin starts to creep forward and generate tension up and down the back. Um, do, where does your mudra usually sit? Where do your hands usually go? Right there. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna venture to say, I think your seat could be a little bit higher and that, that will realign your back. And could be so, could be so. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can set up a whole throne of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, think if, I think if you're able to, I think if you're able to get to a place where the, your hips can rotate a little bit, your spine will straighten up. And then it might, because you have a habit of pain there, it might take a while for that to unwind. Yeah, that's my, that's my guess for now. But uh, if, that, if that doesn't help in a, in a week, uh, you let me know. And we can, we can look at your posture more closely. How do you feel about it? <laughs> so, uh, my, so for a while I, I sat daily and I've now sort of followed a routine of like sitting longer on the weekdays nice. and then probably sitting one of the two weekend days. Um, and part of me says no daily practice and then another part of me says well... That's true, that's true. Yeah, well put. Um, my inclinations with, with questions like this tends to be um, to investigate what your disposition is. If your disposition tends to be like hyper on it, then the practice may well be see what it's like to not meditate on the weekends and then uh, the, imp the important thing there is Make sure you're paying attention to what the results are. Like, uh, don't, yeah, if, it's a, if it feels willy-nilly and you're just like, eh, I don't feel like it, um, don't let it stop there. You can, you can start with, oh, I don't feel like it, um, but pay attention to what the, what the results are if you don't, if you don't practice. I think it can be both. I mean, you can look at cause and effect both on the meditative level and in your daily, your daily life. I, I don't know how it is for you when I, in my, especially in my first few years, I don't know how long, you may have been meditating for 20 years for, for all I know, but. 29, 29. awesome. <laughs> okay, fine. In, in, my, in my first few years, I really noticed a difference. The days that I didn't sit, I was so grumpy. And the days that I did sit, I was a lot cooler to people. Um, yeah. Yeah, field research is good. Uh, yeah, daily life level, and then cause and effect. Examine, examine what happens in your meditation too, because you you might find that if you miss a day, then uh, doesn't go as well. But that that might be okay. Yeah. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Great. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. We can um, we can also talk about distractions sometime soon.
Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, one one approach is uh, is a similar answer. Kind of try out each for your for your life. Um, one of the one of the the principles of Dharma practice is we're training you to be your own teacher, and the way you do that is by experiment. My my intuition. Without asking any of the necessary questions, is that um, so? Really, like, take this very lightly. Um, my intuition is that probably twenty minutes once would do more long term than ten minutes twice a day. Maybe. <laughs> you had a you had a second. I heard, I heard a few layers there, but it, I know that I missed something. So let me tell you what I heard. Um, yeah, you meditated for a while, letting the breath be as it was. It sounds like you got into some kundalini practice in college, out in the cold, but managing the breath in such a way that that was probably a really powerful experience. And then it resulted in a sort of crisp, crisp attention and access to a, a wide awareness. And then, I, I don't know what the question was in there. Oh sure, because I mean, it's it's is it happening without your volition, or uh huh? It sounds like the body has been trained to do that. I I don't know that there's any deliberate intention that you need to like unlock the breath if it's being held, because because of the background that you have. Um, I I would suspect that if you continue if you continue to doing a let the breath be what it is practice, when if you enter into a concentration like that with an awareness that is 
somewhat free, it, that, I think that habit will start to relax. And if it doesn't, no problem. That's my, that's my read. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah. That sounds great. Yes. Yeah, you're, this is, um, what you're describing is like the fundamental move that we're going to make, one of the fundamental moves we're going to make. Um, today, establishing a connection with the breathing, and very, very quickly, you'll, you'll, you will see that there are other sensations that become predominant. And in, the, in this approach, as I'm going to describe it, you have a bit of choice. You can stay with the breath and let the breath stay in the foreground and, and be with that. Or if the, if the sensation becomes compelling enough that it, it is, it's drawing your attention over, then just be fully with that. That's the move until, until it become, either fades away or is no longer compelling. And then you can come back to the breathing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, I do have some thoughts about this. Uh, I, I, gosh, the, the thing I want to acknowledge is I, I suspect maybe all of us are underslept. <laughs> um, and it can be good to just really get a good sleep. Um, I think for some of us, med uh, or sleep, sleep is of tremendous benefit. So, um, yeah, if you really need rest, please rest. Um, I'll, find, I'll find sometimes, you know, I'll meditate when I'm sleepy just to keep up the habit. Uh, and then I get to learn what sleepy, sleepiness is like. I, I, uh, I meditated with a friend who was like, oh yeah, now I'll get to go observe my sleepy sensations. <laughs> I'll just, uh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll circle back. Yes. Nice, nice, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll talk, actually, the next session when we talk about uh, emotions and body, we'll talk about the spectrum of energy a little bit. Because some of us deal more with uh, a very active system and some of us fall asleep. Or interestingly, um, sometimes an overactivated system causes us to fall asleep. Anyway, to maybe to, to give something, something practical to your question, I think one, one way forward there, other than just like barreling through or just getting rest and it's fine to rest, is experiment with different times of the day. There may, there may be, it may be that, that the, the fatigue or the sleepiness has a peak and then it, and it has a trough and you may find it's like the second half of your lunch break or something is the perfect time or the, the best time. Um, but the messing with the time of day can really help. 
Um, yeah, I think maybe that's that's the bit for the moment. I think maybe time for maybe we can do two more real quick. I see, I see this and then you. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, because uh, both of these experiences are included. Uh, there's a teacher, um, Sally Armstrong, who talks about the swing of the pendulum from purity to purification, and sort of back and forth. That uh, we can have these experiences, maybe not even, a, not, not of like pristine stillness, let's say, but the mind becomes steady enough, and the heart can be relaxed enough that we move in the other direction. And we, as you were saying, process, process all of this material, these emotions, these thoughts come up. Um, and then a sort of a wave of that can relatively settle down and we move back and forth. But through, through, that, whole, through that whole trajectory, the, the practice of meditation can support. The, the how, the how of clarity uh, has a lot to do with um, the how of clarity in my experience has a lot to do with immersion. Um, we don't, we don't, we really don't control. We really don't control the uh, when and how clarity emerges. But you can up the odds um, by doing things like retreat and like really being in the container for a sustained period of time. And it may never be like pure white snow, uh, but it, it may be relative stillness that, that comes. Yeah, Maybe one more and then we'll do announcements. Yes. Isn't that great? I mean, it, yeah, it has its drawbacks, but it's like all the, the um, all of our, our challenges, if I personify them, they all have their strategy of like getting us out of meditation. Um, yeah, sleepiness is a common one uh, and one that we'll, we'll talk about next time too. Um, I think sleepiness and kind of overactivation of the system work as a pair and uh, one of the one of the things that you can do, of course, we can we can just accept ob observing sleepiness, but you lose the capability to observe sleepiness. One of the things that you can do is to to um, give some energy to or incline the mind toward the investigative faculties. So, um, say you're observing the breathing while you're, <laughs> I almost said while you're sleeping, uh, while you're meditating. And say you're observing the breathing um, 
say the nose is where it's predominant for you. A small shift you might make if you're getting sleepy is, uh, say, on the inhale, tune into the right nostril, and on the exhale, tune into the left, so that the mind, the mind has to do just a little bit of extra work to identify a more specific detail. And then that, even that little bit, you've got to find the, just the right amount that can bring enough energy back into the, back into the meditation. Um, and if, if that's not it, we'll also get to talk about walking meditation. Yeah? All right. I think it's time for announcements. Does anybody want to give it a go? I mean, well, of the people who signed up? 